Well, church, we have been talking about what it means to be a disciple, and each week I remind you that as we go along, we get into higher levels of discipleship. And these higher levels require us to think very critically about where we are in our faith and how we grow in our faith. So it's very possible that what we're going to talk about today is something that you have not quite figured out in in your life. And that's okay because the idea of discipleship is that you're growing in your relationship with Christ. We're just kind of laying out the roadmap of how you do that. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a manager. And a manager... A manager is that level of discipleship that comes after you're a member, after you're magnifying what God is doing in your life out in the world, after you are serving in ministry, after you are maturing in your faith, we get to this point of being a manager, of managing God's resources. So let's pray together and we will study the word. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity It is good, even if it's difficult to talk about. And we pray that you will help us do something good with it. In your name, amen. So it comes down to this, what's the bottom line? And that is a question that will plague anyone who ever hits a point in life where they are faced with making a major life decision or purchase. So whether it's a car or a home Ultimately, you want to know, how much is this going to cost me? And even with seemingly smaller things, regardless of how much money we have, we want to know what we're in for. So things like ballet lessons and trips, most of us want an idea of what we're going to have to pay for this before we go all in on it. And we want to know these things so that we can make educated efforts with our time and our money about how we're going to allocate our resources. But the world doesn't really seem to want to cooperate with our desire to know this information in the most transparent way possible. So if you take things like the ballet lessons, right, they're advertised $45 a week. I I don't know. My kids don't do ballet, but I'm just guessing. $45 a week. And that's great. So now you know how much the lessons are going to cost. But did you know that you also have to get shoes? And then there's leotards and tights. And then, this is the crazy part, like after you're sucked into it, a couple months down the road, they tell you, oh, by the way, there's recital fees. And so you get the pleasure of paying that too. And sometimes on top of that, you get to pay admission to the recital that you just paid the fees for. And you do not want to be the only parent that shows up without the bouquet of flowers at the end of it. So in reality, it's not a truthful statement to say that ballet costs $45 a week. It actually costs much more. And for as much as we want to know the bottom line, it actually takes us a while to get to a point of maturity in our life where we realize that we do need to know what that bottom line is. I want you to think back to when you were buying your first car, whether that was 16, 18, 20, whatever. Someone somewhere probably told you that there was more to buying a car than you thought, that it wasn't just that you buy the car, you drive it off the lot, and now we are done 
There's gas and maintenance and insurance and registration, all those things that, that make that 16-year-old's eyes glaze over because that money is just magically going to appear for them. Most of us have to mature into the reality that these purchases are more than what we see at face value. That's why last week we talked about maturity first and maturing in our faith as we move forwards as disciples who are capable managers of our precious resources. See, Jesus had a very clear bottom line. There is a cost to being his disciple. And unlike almost everything else in the rest of the world, he is very clear about what that cost is going to be. Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Now, I read that and I think, whoa, 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 Jesus, hold up here. We have to hate our family in order to follow you? Are, are you serious about that? I mean, I realized that my brother was super annoying as a little kid, but I think, I think hate is a really harsh word. And, and truth be told, I, I kind of like Pastor Sung and, and my kids. But does, does that verse just strike you? Does, doesn't that, doesn't that kind of ping at your heart just a little bit, bother you just a little bit? Because, because the way that Jesus is using hate is, is not the way that we understand hate in America in 2018. Jesus is working off of a Hebrew idiom. Hebrew, remember, is how the Old Testament is written. And you find this idiom again and again and again in different stories. There's the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Now, Jacob did not hate any of these women. He, in fact, he probably may have said something along the lines of, these are both lovely individuals. But if you remember the story, he preferred Rachel. That doesn't mean that he hated Leah, that she was this horrible atrocity of the earth. It just means that he preferred Rachel. And this is the concept that Jesus is trying to illustrate here in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus does not want you to go home and treat your family with contempt and vitriol. But what he's saying is no matter how much you love your family, he wants you to love him even more. Before we had kids, Pastor Sung and I were leading a mission trip in, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was working alongside a mission pastor who had already been married and already had three kids. And we got to this discussion about how great kids were, and he turned to me very, very serious, and he said, as much as I love my kids, I love my wife more. Because you see, he said, one day the kids will be gone and they'll be out and about as adults and she will still be here. So she is my priority. Well, when all is said and done, for those who believe in him, Jesus is the one that will always be there for you on this side of glory and on the other side. And when you look at it from that angle, then it doesn't seem so obnoxious that Jesus has asked to be the number one priority in our lives. So the full disclosure here, the bottom line with Jesus is that if you're going to follow him, you have to make him your number one priority. So much so that he says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 
This is his lead-in to announcing the idea that disciples are going to have to manage their resources wisely. And to that end, there is going to be some sacrifice to bear. When you picture Jesus carrying his cross all the way up to the crucifixion, you know that carrying that load took everything that he had. And while that load looks radically different for us today, Jesus wants us to understand that there is still heavy sacrifice involved in following him. He wants you to know that before you sit down for closing. There seems to be this this misconception that all that you need to do to follow Jesus is to show up in church, any church, on a Sunday morning. Well, I have stood in the middle of countless car dealerships multitudes of times. That doesn't mean that I always bought a car. In fact, if you want to strengthen that analogy a little further, how often do you hear people say, oh, I'm shopping around for a new car, and also, I've been shopping around for a new church. See, that's all well and good, but at some point, at some point, you move beyond shopping. And things have to get serious. You feel the weight of that. Anytime that you sit down at a house closing or you go into the finance director's office to pay for your car and you open up that checkbook and you start writing out the numbers, you start to feel the weight of what that cost is going to be. And the difference with Jesus is that that we're not bargaining here. We're we're not going to go for a bargain basement deal with Jesus. In fact, the world offers you many low-cost alternatives to what Jesus asks of you, but in the end, that expression, you get what you pay for, could not ring any truer. So Jesus wants you to know that it's going to cost you to follow him. It's going to cost your time and your money and your relationships and your preferences. And of all of those things, the one that really hits us is our preferences because there are preferences and we like them and that's what we value and that's what we want to invest in. And he tells you this up front so that you have a place to start from when it comes to managing your resources. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Over in the UK, they have this very famous example of of this. It's called the, the Woodchester Mansion. And Winchester Mansion is famous because it is a shell of a house, an outer mansion with a completely unfinished inside. And the story behind it is that there was this guy, William Lay, he was kind of a perfectionist, but he was an incredibly poor perfectionist. And so whenever he managed to get money to put into the mansion, he would mismanage the construction of the project, costing him even more money. And so he started this project somewhere in the 1850s. It was nowhere near completion by the time that he died in the 1870s. Today it stands as one of the greatest unfinished pieces of Victorian Gothic architecture and a monument to a man who never really considered the cost. There is good news, though, 
there's a possibility that maybe, possibly, maybe it might get finished sometime by the time that I have great-great-grandkids. So it's, it's out there. See, it's one thing to say that you want to follow Jesus, but it's another thing to manage your life in a way that actually shows it. Because what kind of king goes out to wage war against another king will not first sit down and consider whether or not he is able with his 10,000 to oppose the one that comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot do it while the other is still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. Following Jesus involves taking stock of all of your resources and managing them in a way that reflects the priority of Jesus in your life. When Jesus talks about giving up all of your possessions, he is not talking about each one of us running home, selling everything that we have right down to our desk lamp in support of our faith. What he's talking about is putting yourself in a place where you manage your resources in a way that is a blessing to God's mission and ministry here on earth. So start with your time. How well do you manage your time? It's a precious commodity because each of us only has so much of it. Disciples manage their time in a way that maximizes their service to the kingdom. So it means that they have sat down and they have figured out what their priorities are. And when someone says that they don't have time to engage in ministry and mission, really what they're saying is, this is not a priority in my life. We prioritize the things that we value. A few years ago, my cousin Parker was recognized by the Clemson University football team. Parker doesn't play football. He's a doctor. But Parker never missed a Clemson football game home or away, since he was a freshman tiger. Can you imagine how many hours Parker has invested in Clemson football? I talked to, I talked to his wife yesterday, and she said the only time, the only game that he ever missed happened about a year ago because he was in his residency at med school and he could not get somebody to take his shift and he missed his first game at like 180-some games. That's a priority. He is invested in Clemson football. He is a disciple of Clemson football. And it's not just sports fans with priorities. There are people who schedule their whole lives around their favorite television show. And there are others who simply cannot put down the books that they read. And there are still others that have hobbies like quilting and bird watching that is so important to them that the whole rest of their schedule has to revolve around it. When somebody says that they don't have time for their faith or they don't have time to follow Christ, what they are saying is, this is just not a priority for me. And the same is true about the way that we manage our finances. Jesus never asked us to give what we didn't have. He never asked us to go into debt. In fact, all over scripture, there is wise financial advice about borrowing and lending and saving and giving. 
But most of the money advice that comes in Scripture deals with how we manage it. And managing deals a lot with priority. So often, even if we bother to sit down and budget, giving to God's mission and ministry falls into that category of discretionary spending. That column of, you know, whatever is left after everything comes first. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about here at the beginning of this passage. He said, I'm first. My mission and my ministry is first. God gives you resources to manage with the idea that he will be your first priority when it comes to how you manage those resources. Let me give you a concrete example of that. Your family wants to go on a European vacation. You look at your finances and you decide, yeah, you know, we could probably swing it. But if you do, then there is nothing left to give to others. There is nothing to support ministries of the church. There is nothing to give to those in need. There is nothing to provide opportunities to demonstrate God's love and grace. So does this mean then that God does not want you to go on vacation? No, absolutely not. But it may be that that vacation is to Venice, Florida, and not Venice, Italy. That's managing your money. Disciples, disciples grow their way into being good managers of God's resources. Many businesses these days, they're caught up in this trend of what is called priority management. Jesus invented the concept of priority management. It was in scripture long before any business leader got a hold of it. He is the priority. And if you follow him, you manage your life around him. So within this structure, the first thing that you do is that you make sure that you understand the company's top objectives. Well, with Jesus, those objectives are this. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Go, make, baptize, teach. Second, you align your goals with the high company objectives. Are you moving your life towards Jesus, meeting Jesus' objectives? And then this next one, and I, and I think this is awesome. You're supposed to score work requests. Because in business, you've constantly got people coming at you with different things, and you have to prioritize what's important. So you score those requests. There's only so much time in a day. There's only so much money in the bank. When requests come in for either of those things, you manage your resources by giving them a score based on how well they meet Jesus's objectives. And then here's this part that I think a lot of us forget. You make course corrections along the way. Many of you are, are at that age in life where you're managing financial portfolios and you know that there are ups and downs to this and, and that sometimes there comes a point where you have to go in and you have to course correct on your investments in order to meet that overall objective that you're looking for. Well, guess what? The same thing applies to your progress as a disciple. If you take a look at your life week to week, and you discover that if a total stranger was to look at either your calendar or your checkbook, they would have no idea that you have a relationship with Jesus, then that means it is time to course correct the way that you are managing your life. The ability to navigate management, that, that comes with maturity, and that's why we talked about maturing as a disciple before we get to this point. 
And as for as challenging as this level of discipleship is, it is the most transparent, the most clear cut of all of the marks. And the reason is because it's demonstrable and it is evident in the lives of those who are marked by it. So the question is this, how are you managing these precious days? I, I guess that it really all comes down to your priorities because that's the bottom line. Let's pray together. Holy God, we, we confess that sometimes when we talk about money, when we talk about time, that we go on the defensive. And it's really not the money or the time that offends us. It's the fact that we're being called out on our priorities. And that makes us nervous and uncomfortable. And so we pray, Lord, that as, as each one of us wrestles with the idea of priority, that you, you would help us to grow. Because that's the whole point of being a disciple, that we would grow closer to you. Give us grace on those times when we need to course correct. Guide us to your higher objectives. In your name we pray. Amen.